This has been Imani Marcus, and I host Mixing with Moni at Mixing with Moni on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram by search, searching it, um, M-I-X-I-N-G-W-I-T-H-M-A-N-I, and you're listening to Strategies for the Culture. You're listening to the Strategies for the Culture podcast, the podcast that evaluates the building blocks of the marketing and public relations strategies that make the culture go round. Taking a closer look at the behind-the-scenes efforts of our favorite brands, celebrities, and companies. This podcast will help you understand successful, results-driven strategies and how you can build your own. Hosted by award-winning creative strategist and publicist, Donovan Mack. This is Strategies for the Culture. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Strategies for the Culture. I am super excited to have this guest on today. Not only is one of her podcasts rated in the top 200 on the charts right now, currently, and she's not number 200, y'all. So I'm going to go back and see and get that number for y'all, but she is on the top charts. So when you go look at podcast charts and things like that, Strategies for the Culture will be there soon. However, she's already up on there. And each episode, you know, they got the show episodes and then just the episode episodes. Episodes, and her episodes have been up there consistently. Not only is she top rated in podcasts, but she is my prom dates from high school, and we love to see it. My girl, Imani. How are you, sis? Hi. Hello, hello, hello. How are you? I am so good. We're going to get into the journey and the tea. Okay, so this will be a piping yes. hot episode, but yes. I just want to talk to you. See, how, are you, how have you been during this time? I'm... You know, hanging in there, one of the best things about being a creative, a podcaster, is that we have a consistent outlet. Um, My show, Mixing with Moni, is mainly surrounded around Bravo TV, pop culture, news, Black excellence, things like that. So I consistently get to just like check out for two hours a week and just talk about mess that don't got anything to do with me and can just be happy, talk about somebody else's bull. And, you know, nobody's hurting me. I'm fine. It's not my bills. It's someone else's money, all the above. So it's it's definitely helping. And I encourage anyone who's having a hard time during these times get you an outlet hang because otherwise I don't know what I would be doing with myself if I did not have a blank space to be talking to every week about absolutely nothing I 100% agree and you know what's funny I the first introduction I got into we're talking about Bravo y'all my audience the first introduction I kind of got into it was I was watching Housewives of Atlanta here and there and then you know headlining news as if somebody like as if one of I don't even know what breaking news this was, but listen, when Portia dragged Kenya, when I tell you CNN was reporting on that story, because it was just major news. So that was like, okay, let me back it up. Let me watch consistently. Let me get into the episode. So that was kind of my introduction, I guess, to being consistent in reality TV. But that outlet is so important. I want to get into podcasting and creativity as well. But like, what did you find? Was this always something in the house that was playing? Like, cause mine was black sitcom. So all all black sitcoms were just in the house playing 24-7 on TV. Was reality TV or that outlet for you? A little bit. I think what happened was I was in high school and I would watch the reprise of the show um, Beverly Hills 90210. It was called 90210. And I would watch it with my dad because he was a fan of the original, obviously, in the early uh, in the 80s and 90s. And 
I wasn't around yet. So I would watch this and I was like, what is this opulent lifestyle and all these rich things? I mean, it was glamour and beauty. And when that was over, it was, it would be like, I would fall into just searching things and I would find the housewives. I want to say it was maybe Orange County, which is not the best uh, to me, but it was, it's one of the original. And I was like, oh, these are rich white women that have nothing to do with me and all these monies. And I'm young. I'm in high school. My dad is giving me five dollars a day for Chick Fil A. Like I have no money, so I'm like aspirational living. And then it kind of started to spiral. And from there, I would get into from OC. I started watching um, um, Atlanta, and Atlanta was a treat because that first couple seasons was like whoa there <laughs> and it's some of the best television i've still ever watched to date and then i pretty much would watch all the obscure ones like miami and dc that didn't last very long um but i would go oh, dc that's my area you know my mom knew people they worked with them and i was just liking to see things that were not related to me but i liked that element of reality that i couldn't get from watching that on 210 that felt too unattainable and for these women they felt like they were real. They had like a very diverse economic situation. Like sometimes they were rich. Sometimes the other ones were a little poor. One married well or something like that. And it was like, so they're giving me different access points to this kind of a lifestyle. And then I literally spiraled into watching every single city, every single franchise, all things Bravo became very obsessed very quickly because the idea was opulent living, aspirational living, but somehow accessible to the average person. And everybody wants to think that they can get to that next level and they consistently would show on a stage that it's possible and i'm like okay I it could be made like the odds of that happening are like zero to nine i'm not gonna be housewife but it felt so real and relatable and that is probably what made me so deeply fall into in love with reality tv because there was always some aspect of that like i see myself in someone because they're not acting you know seemingly they're being a part of themselves at some point. It might be a heightened version, but it's still them. I, listen, that is so true too because reality it's a spectrum you know what I mean like you got love and hip hop with Pookie trying to make it but then you got the Atlanta girls that are like I'm black just like you you know I'm trying to make it just like you mm -hmm. this is just highlighting my life you know Candy Burris who is my favorite you know was like this is where I started uh, in this group uh, right yes, exactly and I have to say it started to become the more I knew these people from a like regular life and not even watching re housewives yet. Like I would see Nene on Glee before I was even watching Atlanta. Yes, and so I yes. knew of her. Right. And they're transcending Teresa on New Jersey. She was on the celebrity apprentice. And I'm like, Oh, this is the woman that flipped the table. They, be they became intersectional with regular pop culture. And it really kind of solidified their place. Like you may not watch us, honey, but you know us. Exactly. So I just figured I might as well know them and watch them. Exactly. And, you know, you're a hundred percent right and it becomes this thing of there's so many different kinds now that you can watch and now i watch it all i will watch anything once if, it, if it's gonna attract me i definitely have a formula i think that i stick with um I, I cover very specific types of shows on my on my show but i will watch a lot of things okay like i'm, I'm into the love and hip-hop game i watched love and hip-hop consistently not new york so much but it consistently 
Atlanta probably since at least season two, deep until maybe the last couple of seasons. Definitely Miami. I was in Miami. Miami was my favorite one, I thought, of a long time. I was in the Hollywood since day one. Okay. Then I got into New York. I was there when Cardi B arrived in New me York. Me too, me too. I was there, okay? <laughs> I will never forget those two French braids twisting. Listen. If the whole guy beef with me, she got beef with me forever. Ever. And I said, ooh, I think I like her. <laughs> I love her. Right. Okay, but the funny thing is too, like seeing Potomac, and I did. I didn't get a chance to watch DC. Hopefully, they put it somewhere where I can see it. But like Potomac, yeah, it was. It's, it's, a, it's a rough one, okay. especially when you compare it to Potomac. I think it was before its time. Mm-hmm, I think it would sure. do very well now. I think it didn't do well then because it was. Super political right. when Housewives had such an air of being flamboyant and mm-hmm. over exaggerated and over the top. And DC became like what well, we know it to be. Like we're hella serious. That's we true. are all working in the government. Right. It is about who you know. But we're going we're to the club afterwards. <laughs> right. And it's like, okay. I mean, they weren't just housewives. These are people who had careers. They knew senators and they oh, were, had always, a job. Right. It was always about like who they knew in the government, who was like the person above them. Mm-hmm. It was back during the conversations of, uh, you know, Proposition 8, gay marriage, you know, a lot of things happening there. So it was a very before your time kind of thing. And then they crashed the White House and they pretty much ruined their own yeah. bag. Like, pretty much. You fumbled your own bag. Because they, basically the federal government looked at Bravo like, don't you ever. Exactly. <laughs> don't ever. send a, Don't you ever send a camera this away again keep it away from us take it to the other side of the beltway and they did For it, that's crazy because like being at the white house door and be like hi i'm executive producer at bravo and you're like bravo yeah. <laughs> but it's funny Katomic, yeah, security guards uh, right so secret, getting, um, secret service mm-hmm. to sign a waiver right. a, a release form, a release form. <laughs> Okay, girl. Right. Uh, you might want to go back the other way. You know, I think the park is down the street. But anywho, right. <laughs> I love seeing Potomac and be like, that's right down the street, which is crazy to me because, listen, the restaurants that they eat at, I was like, I was just there. Yes. You know? <laughs> I got some of my favorite brunch spots. For sure. Giselle went on a date once at this place in Germantown. And I promise you, I was there every Saturday for three months. That's what I'm saying. It was the best beignets and lavender chati lattes. I've ever had. I'm so I here say, for okay, it. Okay, shout out to them. I love Googling where, too, where they go, too. what they eat. I'm like, where you at? <laughs> I'm right there. I'm down, that's 20 minutes away. Exactly. And it's great to see them really thrive because I've heard very many things that they were not able to film early on at a lot of restaurants. They would be told no a lot. A restaurant mm-hmm. that I worked for mm-hmm. uh, at the time is the one that broke the news to me that they were even going to have a franchise in the area. And I couldn't find anything on it. And they were like, well, we got the release forms from Bravo. So we know what's happening. And it was the um, Founding Farmers in Potomac. Yes. And they just filmed there this season as well when they were. Uh, planning Ashley Darby's like come out party mm-hmm. um, they filmed there as well but they could only film at Farmer Fisher's Bakers in, in uh, Georgetown right. because they were like oh well in Potomac they were like well there's not enough room for the camera crew funny how there's room now I mean I love my <laughs> I love my company and my restaurant y'all the best yes. but in Potomac that's where they wanted to film 
But they were like, no, the girls of around the way won't stand for that. Right. So they couldn't do it. So they had to go all the way to D.C. to do it at their sister location. Mm. So I'm glad they accommodated them some way. But it's just real cute how the entire DMV was like, you want to do what? They, oh, no, we don't support that. You don't do but now that. that they're popping. Come on in. Come on in. I know that we see it everywhere. Of, it's funny. I know that layout of the restaurant so well. You know what I mean? I'm just like, it is a little small. Okay. Right. So you could find space. It's right. outside. Okay. There's plenty of room outside. The fountain's outside. It looks beautiful. But I only watch the black franchises. Now I will be watching New York. And I did watch um Beverly Hills because of my girl Garcelle. Now my so you don't sound like the black ones anymore. I know, right? But I mean, as soon as black people get on, I start watching. But when okay, well, New York just uh, announced today they got a black one. Yeah, I have today. no idea. I am so happy for Ebony. I just yes. know she's gonna like. You know, she's not the one that will just be like, "We're gonna film you doing this," and you're and she's like, "No." But tell me about kind of the black, you know. Atlanta is the number one, not only on the housewives, but on the network. So talk to me about how you think, yeah. why that is, as far as like, we're the top people. Yeah, I think that um, it's it's consistent. I mean, we, we're seeing it right now. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm in the, the rooms, it feels like a lot. And a lot of conversation starters with, you know, a lot of the content creators and stuff around Bravo. It's a very whitewashed space. And I've managed to have a presence that I am very proud of. It feels small to me, but apparently it is mighty to many people. And I'm able to see a lot of changes happening. It's like they know the audience is there. You can never deny that we as a viewership were powerful because Atlanta, like you said, is the number one housewife franchise of the, of all of them. And there are, there have been many, there's Beverly Hills, Orange County, New York, New Jersey, Dallas, Miami, DC, Potomac. And um, those are all the ones that are currently aired. Right, and where? Right. Salt Lake City is coming. Oh, Salt Lake City is coming. And of nine, Atlanta, well, actually, I think there's actually even more than nine. I'm probably mm-hmm. missing a couple. And of the nine or ten, Atlanta has consistently been the highest rated probably since like season two or three um, early on. And so, and they would pull three, four, five million people an episode. That's record numbers. Those are numbers of The Bachelor or, you know, American. I, they were up there, okay? And now the numbers are, have dwindled a lot and they're still the highest rated, I think, because you can't deny that we were a presence. I think that they like to ignore that and thought that they could just section us off. And I used to always say, if you don't think Bravo knows we exist, look at what they play when they're not playing Housewives. It's a lot of Medea. It's a lot of Friday. It's a lot of things that they know certain people who are their large part of their audience are watching. And now they're realizing segregation is not enough for us. We have always said we can't get into the other ones. And they're like, okay, well, we want to have that same success, that money spending power over there. How do we fix that? Well, one, get rid of your racists. And I had you on my show to talk about yes. some racists that they needed to get rid of. Yes. That's going to help. And for two, you need to integrate. And now we see that, you know, it can't just be Atlanta. And even when we got Potomac, it couldn't just be Potomac. Exactly. It had to be more. It had to be married to medicine. And then we had to integrate and we had to add some more people and constantly you know, change it up, put Garcella on Beverly Hills. And I mean, it's sad that it had to come in the wake of someone dying. Mm -hmm. Our people were dying this year and they thought, oh, maybe we should stop 
appearing to be so racist but um and even in new york uh ebony k williams is the new official house that they have announced it before they even finished filming they never would do this but they're like hey girls there's a there's a black girl here and there's a black friend of on new york so now there's two black women on new york in the same season and i think that really is going to start changing the game because i constantly like to preach there is a complexity to us that most people do not recognize there's not one black experience hearing one black person is not like okay well now i know how to not be racist for the rest of my life based on what so-and-so said it's like that's not it girl there's plenty of voices and i think that's why atlanta has always done so well was because there's so much complexity on that show of different kinds of black women and different kinds of experiences the church going one the one who had to make it the one who had to struggle the one who you know was born bougie and and stayed rich the one who made herself rich the one who you know denouncing her hood roots the one who's still hood, like all the different kinds of the things I think that we struggle with as a community, not even just as black women, as a community, the husbands that they have on there, and they're all married or have a significant other. So that plays a big part. It really brings our community together because then I don't just see women of a particular age watching this show. I see men, I see straight men, gay men in between all the things, all these children watching. There's a lot of people that watch because they see their families, their aunts, their cousins, their uncles, and they see us making something of ourselves. And we're all here for them to get that going. And I think that because of that, because we know how to rally around people, we know how to rally around our our, our, our people. That's why Atlanta's always done well, because we're a rallying bunch. We loyal as a, to a fault. Like we For are real, family though. first driven people. So if we like Nene, even if we can't stand her, she really getting on nerves. We still gonna watch because we're like, come on, Nene, get it, get get better, do different because we're like that. Unfortunately, other groups of viewership for the other shows. They leave. Yeah. If they don't like it, they're not interested. They feel entitled to leave. And that's cool. It's TV. But we're just not built that way. So I think it's really transcended. Not to mention, the show is funny as hell. Nene is funny as hell. Portia is the funniest person on the planet. Kenya is drop-dead gorgeous. And so it's not even just us watching. It's other people, too, who are like, this is just good television. And because when you get that unity and that viewership, honey, then somehow your ratings double. The money trickles in. Look it's at crazy that. how that works. Exactly. It's almost as if racism is not the answer. Listen, there was one I'm episode shocking. when Kim Zolciak said racism wasn't all that real, and we just had to, you know, pray for her. But you know what's crazy? And we all did that have to pray for her. Yeah, and it's, it's uh, and when she told us, she told Annie, "This is why white women won't film with them." That's not true. That was cute at the reunion. You saw it in Andy's face, like, well, we will never have you on this show. Exactly. You look like, oh, girl, you done really stepped in it. For real, though. But I want, you know what's crazy, too, about Potomac? And I want to get into your story in a second. But Potomac, they could have chosen a lot of white people. And, and you know what? They honestly probably should have if they wanted to stay in Potomac because Potomac is not black. It's not. And it's crazy how they be everywhere else but Potomac. <laughs> <laughs> like when they're, when they're in D.C. 
when they're in Virginia, like I'm like, that's not Potomac, but I guess like because they're from Potomac. There was even something with um Karen's storyline where it was like, um, sis just finally moved back to Potomac. So I was like, oh, okay, I kind of see what's going on. Mm-hmm. But you know, what can you do? But I want to know about you. And like, I was one of those people that was like, this entity of Bravo, I didn't know it had a such a loyal fan base, number one. But number two, like people would stay on that channel and watch all day. But number yeah. two, like, it, had entities under entities under entities like the amount of yeah. shows from the shows the spinoffs off the spinoffs off the spinoffs yeah and you have really made a presence amongst i just watch your page and be like there's this <laughs> podcast there's this youtube channel there's you know this instagram account now there's black with bravo or something if i'm getting it wrong excuse me but no bravo it's while black. bravo oh, while black we love to see it and and aaron are we love to see it because you know it's we are there like you said we watch right right we need to be represented we're the largest audience apparently according to atlanta's numbers we're the largest audience with the smallest voice how is that working it's crazy but how did you get how i don't know because like i if i even imagine white women watching atlanta you know what i mean so Mm -hmm. to just add a little cherry on top you know they're watching new york and atlanta and then we are rallying behind atlanta it kind of makes, you know, perfect sense to put Ebony K. Williams on New York to get Garcelle mm-hmm. on Beverly mm-hmm. Hills. Like, that's a no-brainer to me, especially in New York. New York got every race, every Hello. color of the world. Right. <laughs> but I want to know... shout out to my girl, Bethany. Yes. Bethany Frankel, who invented Skinny Girl Margarita and invented it on the show. On the it's show. It's a major brand now. And it was pretty much... We saw her struggle from poor to riches on the show. And she even came out recently and said that she had been submitting names mm-hmm. as possible housewives candidates yes. for years of over 30 black women the black women each year they she would have black women on her list every year and i'm like shout out to our schools because it makes no sense look obviously this is new york and that's always been my point is like where y'all getting this idea this is like friends all over again where y'all getting this idea that everybody in the coffee shop would be white in what part of New York (laughs) that was my point because if not they're almost Mm. a minority there but you understand what I'm talking about like this is New York City and there's not one black person but I want to know how you really created your own lane amongst the Bravo world offline I guess because it not only is it just you I know you got a team and stuff but not only have you built this like this is your baby but like you're one of the thought leaders in the industry so I want to know how that kind of came about I mean (laughs) It's truly, it's, it's, they call it a humble brag for real, right? Because you do brag a little bit because you're proud of yourself, but it is also very humbling. Um, I, I really fought for this. There was a lot of times where I thought very seriously, I cannot continue. Like this is the, the racist in this DM and they're not hearing me on this one and they're, and they're going to hate me. I would wake up and see the numbers because I would create memes and stuff and they account would grow and I'd be like okay, they're all going to leave. Like it's all going to be gone one day. What's going to happen? And then you know, I got everybody I knew to listen to the first episode, 25, 30 people. And I was like thank y'all. Then it was 50 people and I was like oh my god. And then it went like 100, 200. And I'd be like who are these people? I don't know those people. Right, right. My, mom, my mom is the only one still consistently listening. Everybody else be like, um, I might put it on in the background, but I ain't gonna listen, girl. And it really took a while to find my footing. And then now to be at a place where having, you know, thousands of subscribers and hundreds of reviews. And I'm just like, 
uh, yesterday they released the cast tapes of Salt Lake City and Bravo created a like a super group of Bravo lovers of some of the biggest content creators and I just was looking on my thing like who is this who are these people in this group what is going on where is this coming from and it was freaking Bravo TV it started this group and included me and then I realized they followed me and I was like how does a network of NBC Universal follow me. That's not a thing. Like, what are you talking about? And it like, is a thing. They, you popping. <laughs> they did it after inviting me to, and I was graciously invited to, like, the virtual premiere of Potomac. And, I mean, to be honest, and I had a lot of people who fought for me to get that invitation. It did feel like it came a little late, and they were like, you can't have this without Monty because Monty has put us on to Potomac. And people were putting out polls. Like, how many of y'all came to watch the show based on Monty? Because I was out here going for the people, okay? I was like, you need to go ahead and watch this. I think that the persistence that I had and the passion that I had, it's truly just so genuine where I did not have a lot of people in my life that I could talk to about these shows. I wanted to be able to talk to people about these shows. And I found a community of people who also don't have anyone to talk to about these shows. And they, I I, I honestly think that interacting with them regularly, they would DM me and I have this thing where I still will respond to every DM at least once. If I find it, if I catch it, I'm going to respond. And they will be like, wow, thank you. And I'm like, girl, I'm just a girl. If you knew me, like, are you right. kidding? Like, it's just naughty. Like, you, we could go get a drink if it wasn't a freaking pandemic outside. Exactly. But we are, I'm just, we're just watching TV. Like, this is no separation here. And they, I think the important thing is I never thought of, my, I never think of myself as an entity, kind of more like a movement. It's something that you can join. It's something that you can be a part of. It's something that's ever changing and evolving because, you know, as large of an audience that I had, I also knew that I had a particular voice and I released an episode called what it means to mix with Monty when I was truly going down a dark path this past summer of 2020 with um Mr. Floyd passing being killed and I it was like how am I supposed to cover things like I can't watch rich white women argue about you know bs and 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 feel uneasy in my own community and not want to even walk outside of my house because I'm afraid of what's going to happen next. Like that means if you're listening and tuning in to me, I don't get, I understand that they want for a lot of podcasts to separate. Mm -hmm. They don't want a lot of the white podcasts and stuff to talk politics or race or anything like that. That's fine. That's what you signed on for. Right. That's what you knew from the beginning, but I made it very clear. I can't separate the two. There is no separation for me. I am a black podcaster so there's a podcast and there's also me being black i can't be not black on the podcast so i very much so stay true to who i was i constantly engage you know i tried very hard not to give up i always just thought there there's something for me here i'm going to get there and i had myself at such a high high bar so that every single accomplishment closer to that it almost feels unreal but it also feels like i never feel satisfied because I'm like, okay, this was delicious, but I'm going to get hungry again. Like I want the next meal. I want, that was a great appetizer. The appetizer hit, it was bomb, (laughs) but I need another meal. Like I need something more. I see myself and this is no shade to Andy, but I see myself as hosting a reunion one day or watch it happens live. Someone's going to give me the keys of the Bravo kingdom to me because 
I know that I'm worth it. But at the same time, I know that no one else is going to be able to fight hard for a network than the person who the network wasn't meant for. Like it wasn't ever meant for me, but they're profiting off me. So I know how to connect to both sides of the fence. I can get black people to and people of color, minorities, to watch the show they never thought they could connect with. Because I'm here on the mic telling them every week, girl, the reason you want to do this is because this is nothing to do with you. This is not your family. Look at these old rich white women fighting each other. It's not us. Right. Everyone's being ratchet. Let's watch and all. Right. Okay? And then I'm telling these lovely white women is my large fan base is you need to be watching Atlanta and Portia is hilarious I'm giving them sound bites I'm giving them examples because it's like the more they connected with me the more I was able to they, they were able to trust me with what I'm saying to them and I think that really made the difference is that truly my people feel like they are a part of something they don't feel like they're just fans of something or of someone they trust me they trust my opinion they trust my thoughts people dm me all the time i need to hear your thoughts on this are you Mm going to talk about this or can you just tell me what you feel about this they know that being a mixologist and being in this mixer is we're truly mixing i will shout out people on the show they know i'm never above that i always have you know different accounts that i'm following that i'm like hey you need to hear this i promote black excellence because i'm like i'm not going to talk about black death every week but y'all need to remind yourselves how to conduct yourself in a world that's racist. If you will love me, you can't love me and not like my people. So here's some examples of why we're the, the bomb. Like you need to recognize that the reason you hear black excellence is because you never hear black excellence anywhere else. You need to hear it from me. You need to remind yourself of other voices that if you aren't really serious about amplifying black voices, it's never going to stop. And every single week, probably even since that happened in the summer, I have been having various black people on my show to still talk about the black experience while watching TV. And I'm all about intersectionality because yes, we all want to zone out, but I don't always have that option. So I just bring people on my journey with me and because they feel like they're part of something, I think it's easy for them to rally around me a little bit better. And I think you can't deny that as a network, you can't deny the voice and the influence that we creators and content creators and podcasters have when you know we are in their ear, they're literally DMing me on whether or not they think they should watch Housewives of Orange County. They're looking to me to answer that question for them. So if you are a network, you're looking to these content creators who have the ear of everyone that watches you and you want them on your side. You want them to watch your new franchise because if they don't say, oh, this premiere of Potomac was it, we would not have the numbers we have right now of Potomac, and it's gone up increasingly every single episode. It definitely has. Because it's it truly the work, and shout out to whoever's on their PR team to literally invite like 30 to 40 podcasters and content creators and pages to all see the first two episodes, talk to the women, and then go to all their channels that represents about four or five million viewers mm-hmm. and listeners to be like, Y'all need to see this episode. It's crazy. And now they're hitting the same numbers as New Jersey and New York. So now they got new dollars. And I keep telling the girls, the viewership increases the coinage. So you need to be on board. Watch the show. And that's how you support a black life. It's just that simple. You can support us in so many ways. And I think because people feel that accessibility to me and from me to Bravo 
they get that it's not just a show all the time and that they're allowed to feel how they feel because I try to connect my feelings to it too. And that intersectionality, meeting that reality kind of always just brings them back to a place that they're not just listening, you know, for fluff and gossip. They're genuinely hearing points of view, something they can laugh at, things they were already thinking. And I think that makes a really big difference. I think that's the, the, the hidden formula of what makes a podcast work is that it can't just be you talking at somebody because anyone can sign up for a lecture, honey. You don't want to listen to a lecture while you're doing your dishes and walking your dog while you're trying to get your kids in the morning or you're at home from work and you're about to go in the carpool line. You don't want to do that. You don't want to be lectured. You want to have fun. It's those little moments of joy. And I just try to create that. And I I think I've been very fortunate and blessed that it's paid off for something that I love so much, which is, you know, TV. You know what? That is crazy. And I saw all of this in high school <laughs> because I was like, this girl is going to be so successful because not only, you know, is there just oh. this mentality where like you can find the path and not even like walk it, like run it. And that's mm-hmm. really added all the hard work and consistency, which I absolutely love. But it's so mm-hmm. crazy how like the first of all, that meeting, that gathering of the two episodes was hella smart. As a PR person, mm-hmm. I know exactly what they were doing. So that was hella okay. smart, number one. But oh, number two, Right, but number two, you've you've really introduced like to not only your viewers and your audience, but like to Bravo that we have like not only is our voice, our viewership, our money, like it all should be valued. So I love that one hundred percent. I want to get into some tea about Miss um, Nene Leakes because we did talk yeah. about her and how she's a huge entity now. If you have Hulu, which my friend recently did, she watched every season from season one all the way to the reunion. So this was a few months back when she like finished, finished. And of Atlanta, was, yeah, of Atlanta, yeah. That's yep. a great time. That is a binge I have done like three times. She it's called delicious. me like after every episode and was like, "Donovan, delicious." Let me tell you. Can I just tell you? Go ahead. There is an episode in season three and I'm going to find it. it it is the quintessential it's the best episode it's when we first meet Phaedra Parks mm-hmm. she's brand spanking new this is Bobby Brown's attorney you know pit bull by day but like doting wife Christian wife to the convict by night and it was very she had little rhinestones on her eyelashes uh, and she's wearing like a feathered robe, a red feathered robe or black one, and she is making salmon, bacon, eggs and waffles for one Apollo Nida, the ex-convict. And she's talking to him about the bacon from the farmer's market. But, mm, this bacon is really fresh and it's so much better. She talks, I love cooking for my husband and I'm newly married and I love to serve and, and, and cater to him. And it's really made a difference in our marriage. And you watch them eat. And you just hear a layover voice of Nene Leakes. One miss, Lanethia Leakes go, Apollo is a criminal. <laughs> and I guess Phaedra <laughs> met him trying to represent him, but she married a criminal. And I was just like, ooh. Because <laughs> you should so- see this woman who is so overdolled up. You can tell she's doing it for the camera. Yes. She's trying to put on this brave face and be like, we're just a perfectly Christian mm-hmm. couple. Southern and male. I just cater to my man. <laughs> and here are my rhinestone lashes I just woke up to. Oh my and goodness. you just hear Nene in the back. Apollo's a criminal. I can. A criminal. 
she's a lawyer and a criminal. Maybe they got the law in common. And I just lost it. And it's episode three. I want to say it's 10. So either way, y'all need to go listen and go watch Atlanta from the beginning. It's the greatest television we ever watched. So thank you, girl, for yes. going back into that. Whoever your friend is, I'm sure she's having a grand old time. She loved it 100%. And she was, it was right after the virtual reunion wrapped up and that she finished. Like she got mm. it to the point where she could watch it kind of with you, us. That's the best reunion I've seen. Not only did Portia carry the reunion, but they, they did, did it again. two virtual reunions on that network, Beverly Hills and Atlanta. Yeah. And people were like, oh, maybe because it was virtual, it didn't work for, no, it worked for Atlanta. It worked. They did a great job. They did, they did. Zoom me to cut the check. But no, I wanted mm-hmm. to mention, you know, Nini has really created, and uh, to correct me if I'm wrong, did she found, like, founded the reunion for reality television? Um, not so much because okay. she they're the third installment of okay. Housewives. So we had um Atlanta and I mean we had uh, Orange County and New York already, and then we got Atlanta. I will say she did find quite a few things when she did allege that she kind of put Andy on the map. That part is is pretty much true because she was on when Watch What Happens Live that he hosts and people go viral on. People never know what show mm-hmm. it is that mm-hmm. people going viral on. It's his show and he's had it for over 10 years. So it's been on a lot longer than now. And, and NeNe is the most memorable of guests that he's ever had on because people would call in and it would be like Kim Zolciak calling in whenever they would be feuding. <laughs> and NeNe would go viral before viral was a thing because she's just there solo by herself talking to Andy and saying all these things about the girls that she don't like and would say things like call Kim a trash box to <laughs> close her legs to married men yes. all the good one-liners that we love and that would be viral back in like the early 2000s when viral wasn't really hitting like that yet and it was hard to go viral so Nene created a lot of things she didn't really create a reunion but she definitely has put her her, her stank on it mm-hmm. in a way that it has solidified her place in pop culture and television forever. That's so true. And you know, I think why we watch the reunions to this day is because of her. You know what I mean? Like, not only close oh, like sure. to married men, but like going forward, everyone, it was one point where like, oh, like the reunion's coming up. Or like, that was a whole announcement over the season. You know what I mean? Like, they get to reunite, mm-hmm. kind of sit together as if they hadn't done that all season. But they got to watch the season. They got to carry on. So it was a really good thing to see but I want to get into, of course, she was on the Tamron Hall show recently, and yeah. she was just so distraught, crying. How did you? Oh, I'm so sorry to interrupt you. It's okay. Did you know that the, when you came on my show, mm-hmm. I had you review the statements of what, some girls yes, from yes. Bravo, Vanderpump Rules? Previous. Tamron just had Stassi, whose apology you reviewed, on her show. She okay. just had it. It was her first interview ever. And I've had a lot of people, Mr. Mac, reach out to me and be like, your PR friend was on the nose. Oh he is a gene. Yes, he is. He predicted the future. Have him on again. He is a fortune teller. Wow. Because she, you made it very clear that there are some times that you kind of just got to bite the bullet and let the people go and not touch certain things. Oh, the crisis manager has gone terrible honey wow. it's all going downhill and it was uh, when the interview Tamron Hall got that interview mm-hmm. it was like two weeks before a week before the Nene thing happened right, right. and I was like 
Oh my gosh. Would you forget Donovan just calling out all the cards? So, Let me tell you something. Here. Let me tell you something. First of all, it's hard to keep up with you because there's so much going on with Bravo and everything. And you're just surpassing me podcast land, okay? But you know, okay. I did now that you I've mentioned been doing it. this for a little while, so <laughs> you almost there. We're on the way. But I did I did see that. I did see like the preview of that go on. So I gotta go back and watch. And if you haven't, y'all, I was Ooh. on Monty's podcast. Please go and check out all of her episodes because she has the tribe of mixologists really just running Bravo number one but number two that is crazy because in mentioning that I hadn't watched that show before and you just giving me the details I was like guess what this is what needs to happen and you know I don't know why Mm -hmm. I don't even know why that PR company said PR company had taken her on as a client because there has to be a portion where it's like listen you might just need to ride this crisis out and one thing I learned in PR firm in school and everything is that everything is not a crisis and everything is not for you to handle you know what I mean a crisis a word right (laughs) a crisis in PR land is like you know we're going to get through this problem now other racist stuff that is an issue that you have with yourself that you put that out there number one but number two it's not the image like we're handing the business of people and their images and that's not Honey, something we can take on she just got married while pregnant they had a crisis management baby <laughs> she announced her crisis management pregnancy and she was like hi surprise I'm pregnant so you can't hate me anymore that didn't work nope. so then she went on the, the Tamron Hall show yep. and then she tried to be a little remorseful throw her other friend under the bus and then she was like I felt very blindsided by Tamron and Tamron was like oh really honey and Tamron released that. receipt I saw that and was like we gave you all the info up front and then so that didn't work and now she just got secretly married yesterday I saw that episode. That was the episode that I was watching because I think even Shade Room had covered it where they were like, Mm -hmm. you know, Tamara sent me the questions, but you know, oh my gosh, like I was totally blindsided because that was not one of the topics. And she was like, you got all the information. I sent it to you. I'm a very pronounced journalist, profound journalist. It's taken me a minute to get to my own show. What you're not going to do is try to discredit me on my show. So I was really Mm -hmm. glad that Tamara just was like, listen, I'm a black woman, number one. Number two, I'm following the flow of the interview and asking you questions. But I want to get into, like, of course, Bravo does have some black employees. They do have some people behind the scenes yes, that, you know, are yes. for us, that are moving the culture forward. I want to ask you, do you believe in Nini's accusations? You know, because I was learning, too, they have their own kind of production company. So, for example, Monty, the housewife mm-hmm. in Atlanta, and, you know, she has the company or the people that follow her around with cameras. She can get a relationship with them, her executive producer. And I'm also seeing that a lot on Tamar show um, is that she had that one person with her that kind of eggs her storyline along puts her in the places where she needs to be to kind of get not only the drama but the content for the show um but there were a lot of different things where it was like you know oh andy's racist you know wendy williams and things like that and just nini was really distraught crying on that show so what do you think is true because you know bravo has produced a lot of things for the culture i think now they're just seeing ebony k williams is a major activist you know within our field and things like that and this is not Mm -hmm. her only show so i really want people to get into state um state of state of the culture yes state of the culture on revolt as well as she has her own like talk show on revolt as well so she's an entity in herself but really webs for black people but what do you think is true it is it is but what do you think on this situation is true not true and how bravo can kind of move forward i think in all honesty nini would know so much more than almost anybody else that works there she is the 
longest black entity on that whole show that still remains. The first season of Atlanta, the entire cast that was there is gone. She's the last one who was there since day one. And she's gone. I mean, the other three women, they've only been like one or two seasons. Sheree is gone. Candy came later. Cynthia came later. Portia came later. Kenya came later. So, and, and now, now luckily they have two more women that they're adding. One more woman that they're adding. Three more friends of Adresa Dora. Uh, I'm, I'm like, rolling oh, my eyes, y'all. Okay. I just, I'm right. rolling my eyes because you cheated with Derwin and I'm still mad. So, um, <laughs> me too, me too. Watch the game I'm on Netflix. Not over it. I'm not I can't too. really support you. Because she played herself. Um, but... <laughs> I think that it's tricky because unfortunately a network's job is to maintain profitability. And unfortunately no one ever has really understood why, but being black on TV and in movies is not always as profitable as we know it to be, but everybody else has to tell everybody else it is not. And that's the crazy part because Atlanta has been on and been popping for years but they never given them the true respect they deserve. Very true. I mean, it, it was really reminiscent because um, I know you brought up uh, that you didn't know that Bravo had like this whole like fandom like this. Like, it, like no other network has this. Very true. BravoCon was a conference for Bravo in New York that was last year. It got canceled this year because of COVID, and it was a huge huge event over three venues three days and all these housewives were there people were standing in line for hours and there were drinks there were swag bags it was a major thing and atlanta's panels were some of the most watched and anticipated for and it's just never really felt like it was integrated enough for how much of the slack they do pull um because they've earned all the same fans of everybody else if anything the other ones they're there people like them because they watch everything but Atlanta people were like oh I would go because I want to see X Y and Z Mm -hmm. right so I think Nene is a dramatic individual and I do think she is definitely someone who can feel Mm -hmm. she is very in touch with her emotions and her feelings I think she's been hurt And I don't think that she's wrong in how she feels. I can't really speak to her analysis of what's happened, but I can say of all the things that Nene says wild, I don't know if I disbelieve her on this one because I can see how in the past and before now they have not felt it to be the most profitable to keep elevating us. It felt like there was probably a lot of, listen, you still get the best day. We'll make Sundays your night. It's primetime night. It's nothing to complain about. And then it becomes that older, if you think, listen to older black activists talk they go what are they complaining about now at least they don't have to be segregated at the lunch counter at least they exactly. get to talk to each other at least they get jobs affirmative action all these things and we're like yeah but we would like to like not die and we would love to be able to like live talk, our lives right live our <laughs> lives talk to each other and not have people <laughs> deny us of our experiences things like that but it's like a separation thing but it's like bravo's like why are you complaining and I don't think Nini has ever complained 
until now where she's gotcha. like there have been plenty of things where they won't even let her be great in, in the aftermath she was supposed to film or uh, host a show on the E! Network which is Bravo's sister network they're both owned mm-hmm. by the same company so and so was Oxygen and so they were she was supposed to host something on E! I don't know if that's still happening it seems like it may not be because of her you know rant but I'm sure that as she was leaving she's felt disrespected the last couple of times the last couple of seasons and negotiations and things like that and it kind of feels like there's a dog whistle for the whole well we had a black president we can't still be racist kind of thing right where they're like well we have a Potomac and an Atlanta and we got black people on the show so we can't be racist what are you talking about but honey racism comes in all forms and flavors and spices (laughs) and you can taste it in a lot of different ways. In Absolutely. So many different meals. Absolutely. So you can enjoy a racist less peach cobbler mm-hmm. and then bite into some chicken and it is completely racist full. Yeah. So I think that in programming, they are less racist now than probably before. And we don't know what he really took to As get Everyone there. has to become, right? Everyone's just become less right. racist. Everyone's doing it. Everybody's <laughs> taking episodes off and mm-hmm. adding this and doing that. And But then you have in a Black woman's uh, departure from a network where she made you so much money. Yeah. It's more, I can understand why it could be ego for Nini because there's a lot of ego that comes out with her. Mm-hmm. Now it's a lot of people's, you know, criticism of her because we love her, but we, it's a lot of ego. But it also could be a shot to the ego that the best you get is a DM post or an Instagram post from Andy when you leave. But she has made you coinage. Like, coinage and she just felt like I believe she wanted a little bit of loyalty mm-hmm. like we get it you want Wendy to be on your show it's like Andy's definitely social climbing a little bit like oh, he, he he but, maybe he's hosting a show that's kind of his job yeah. it's like who's the next big guest we can get so he got Wendy on there because that's the epitome but he's also had Nene on there who's made him go viral so many times absolutely. for his show alone and I think she was like oh you gonna side with her over me you gonna let her talk Talk crazy about me. We were yeah. just in Miami last year. Look, we friends. I we are friends. You want to be her friend, exactly. and I think she felt betrayed in that sense. Um, I don't think a card was played. I think that again, if anybody would know something about what goes on behind closed doors, it'd be Nene because she is the only black woman or only black person who's been at Bravo this long. Period. So, and that's yeah, why I, I have you on this show because I was like, that's a perfect yeah. explanation because I couldn't even put it into like all the way words and how like not only how she is, but in addition, like how she really has a stickler for the truth. You know what I mean? But it might have been bent and twisted in some ways, but you know what's in there. So I 100% love that you mentioned that. I wanted to say too, why do you think they only offer, offered her six episodes? Like, why do you think it was dwindling that? Pretty much the HBIC, who is the longest running OG, but then also the black OG at that. Why do you think, you know, they're continuing to like undermine her as far as the content given? Because it's like rate didn't change, yeah. she said, but then she mentioned, oh, you know, but I'm in fewer and fewer episodes going on. Like what I think, though, the, the, the difference is and this is why it, it helps to be involved in all aspects of all the shows is that they've been doing this across the board with all the OGs. Mm. Um, they just fired Vicky and Tamara on uh, Housewives of Orange County. And though Tamara was not an OG, she came in season three. She is a staple on that show. And yeah. Vicky has been there. Vicky is the first housewife ever. 
she is the only one that still would have been on uh, of all time because OC is the first franchise and Correct. she's the only person from the very first season that is on the fir- from the first show. Um, they've been doing it there. They are, it's, it feels like they are doing it in Beverly Hills, um, as well with Kyle. Uh, it, it seems like they're just kind of basically saying that no longer will legendary status keep yeah. you on the show, keep you employed. Mm, okay. I think that Nini had an excellent exit season last season if she knew it was an exit season she would not have acted the same way exactly so she apologized to people she made amends she had great fights but i think that if they had told her we want you to do one last season i think it would have been a very different nini because she would have felt jaded Mm -hmm. and do i think that they did that sneakily um possibly it it would make sense as to why that's Um, the industry i have not heard anything but i do think that they feel this need to push on these the narrative on all these OGs on all the housewife shows that we can make this show without you. And Nini, unfortunately, is actually living proof because she was gone a couple of seasons mm-hmm. and Kenya carried that show and it did not hurt in ratings. Absolutely. And when she came back, it didn't exponentially you know, ratings. yeah, rocket to in ratings either. So they, in a lot of ways, were like, "So you're a very expensive liability, and you seem miserable." And I've always said, I also thought it was time for Minnie to leave because, as much as I love her, I think she was she resented the show. Yeah, I think she let her ego would get in the way of like, I can't leave because this is my show, mm-hmm. and they cannot go on without me. But I think she hated it here. Yeah, yeah. So it, it was like a catch-22 because she was like, I'll be damned if they keep going without me. But also, I hate this. So I think that it was time for her to go. But I do think that they understood that shooting with a miserable woman, if no one's going to film with you, you can't be on the show. And right. that was, it was getting harder and harder to find people to film with her, which is why she was apologizing to everyone left and right. Yeah. I just think that that was a good way to go out. I just don't think that they would have gotten that if they had told her this was going to be her last season. And honestly, I think this season, they probably offered her a last season approach. They did it to Tamara. Mm-hmm. They said, we want you to wrap up your story, take a few episodes this season. Here's a little bit of coin, like 30K or something like that. Mm-hmm. Wrap up your episodes and then go. To Vicky, they made her a friend of and demoted her. And I think Nene would not have handled that well at all. So yeah, we wouldn't handle probably, that at all. <laughs> I don't think we would have handled that well either. I think she just hand, she took the opportunities that were given to her to make it what she, and she didn't like any of them. I think they gave her a bunch of different options and she said, I don't like none of them. Mm-hmm. And they said, well, then we're done here. And now she's like, that's all you have for me. And I think for her, it probably did feel racial because what else do you have to compare it to? Right. Yes. It's one thing if you're doing it with all the OGs, but this is the only black one we have. Exactly. So we don't know what the standard is. So you would think that it would be a, maybe a little different because she's the most memeable, the most gifable, the funniest, the most iconic, the one who consistently does watch what happens live on her own. By herself. Not a lot of other Atlanta or housewives, period, just do it by themselves with Andy, but he's been doing it with her by herself for at least the last seven or eight seasons. Yeah. So 
I think she expected a little bit more reverence. And I can understand that. That might seem egotistical. But at the same time, we don't know the bar because she is the bar. Oh, okay. I love that. I love that. Monty, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. The last question I have for you is just, what does the strategy for the culture mean to you? We talk about it being the intersection between being black and business. You started this movement and people are literally jumping on the mixologist train. What does the strategy for the culture mean for you? I think that the strategy, first of all, again, thank you for having me. I love you. I'll do anything for you. Love you too. But I think the strategy for the culture is finding a way to consistently redefine what the culture is. I think we get very caught up in this one way to be and who it can include and who it can't. And there's so much difference in all of us that still kind of shapes a, a universal experience that I think that the strategy is allow people within the culture to identify themselves as such, but also identify themselves within it. We are the gatekeepers for this. And honestly, we need to be as real and as open and as genuine as possible with the world we need to stop gatekeeping each other because they're watching us they want in right now they are seeing us dying in the streets and they're offering all of our condolences and they're also like but why are you not so sad it's like honey you've been trying to kill us for decades what what are we sad about today like why this isn't new like people are asking all the time are you going to watch oc because they're racist and they're talking about trump and they're being mean about black lives matter i boycott i'm like that's cool with you, but guess what? I signed on to Bravo knowing all these bitches was racist. I've been new. Like, this is not news to me. So how, I'm not going to make you feel guilty for wanting to watch something when this isn't new. Because you're here and you know, great. But now they're watching us like, oh, well, we want in because they can handle tragedy different than we can. So I think that as long as we amplify our own voices amongst each other, and when someone offers us the mic, no matter who it is, Feel free to take it, but also feel free to pass it on because no one is going to have our back like we do. So as long as I go on every podcast of anybody, especially if they're a person of color, I've had very many podcasts. People be like, I can't believe you're on my show. I'm like, hell yeah, I'll do your show. Because someone didn't do mine when I was small. And now I got to return the favorite because we all got to eat. And there's enough food for all of us. This is not a competition. This is not a race, honey, because there is what? but so many black podcasters, but there's a gajillion non-black podcasters and they all got the ads and they all got the numbers. So why can't we all help each other? So be as real and relatable as possible because as long as we got each other, they're always going to want in. So we just going to make sure it's a safe home for us. The best to ever say it. I love it so much. Thank you so much again. And we will talk soon. Thank you for having me. Of, of course. course. I mean, if people, I hope people like it. And if they do, come on over and join the Mixing with Monty train and listen to the podcast anywhere you listen. After you listen to this one. Absolutely. I'll have you do a drop. Free. You have to do a drop. So you're about to say you, your name, your title. Yes. And that goes yes, before yes, every episode. Yes, of course. So, of course. Yeah. Um, yeah, you can find me anywhere you podcast um, by searching Mixing with Monty. And you can um, join my Facebook, uh, Insta, I have a Facebook group over there, Instagram and Twitter at Mixing with Monty, M-I-X-I-N-G-W-I-T-H-M-A-N-I. And I know this is your show, but I have to tell the people because we're still in some perilous times. If it applies to you, stay happy, stay healthy, stay safe and stay home as best you can because it's crazy out there, honey. It is. We'd love to see it. Perfect.
perfect perfect excellent excellent 